BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, hi, Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, will she run? That's one of the questions surrounding LaFonza Butler, Governor Gavin Newsom's pick to fill the vacancy left by the death last week of Senator Dianne Feinstein. Butler, a former labor leader and advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris's campaign, has been serving as the president of EMILY's List, working to help elect women who support abortion rights. Our bodies belong to us. Our freedoms are not up for debate. This hour, we learn more about LaFonza Butler and how she'll represent California and get your reactions to the historic swearing-in today of the state's first black woman and out lesbian senator. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California will be represented by LaFonza Butler in the U.S. Senate. After Governor Gavin Newsom announced he'd chosen the 44-year-old Democratic strategist to fill the late Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat, Butler tweeted, No one will ever measure up to the legacy of Senator Dianne Feinstein, but I will do my best to honor her legacy and leadership by committing to work for women and girls, workers and unions, struggling parents, and all of California. I am ready to serve. So who is LaFonza Butler? For that, we turn to Melanie Mason, senior political correspondent covering California politics for Politico. Melanie, so glad to have you on. Glad to be here. Also, Marisa Lagos is with us, politics correspondent for KQED, co-host of KQED's political breakdown show. Hey, Marisa. Hey, Mina. So, Marisa, you sat down with LaFonza Butler in 2019, and we heard some values and priorities in that statement that... I just read. So what did you learn about her background and values that shaped those priorities? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Butler's most expansive work in California and really as a politician has been in the labor movement. Um, She worked at SCIU uh, for many years, including about nine years at the helm of the union in California, which is the largest in the state, representing in-home care workers and nursing home employees. And she told us that that career was really inspired by watching her own mother and her struggles. Her father fell ill when she was about 16 years old. And her mom, I think, carried three jobs while she was also caretaking her father. Um, And LaFonza, you know, told us that that really informed her career path. And I think you see that in the way that she fought for things like the $15 minimum wage, um, bringing, you know, 
what I would say is a really sort of like front row seat to the struggles of particularly women of color in the service economy. Um, But I I think what you have to also give her credit for is that she has always been... um, just good at taking her seat at the table and doing that advocacy. Like, I don't think she looked or felt out of place there. Um, And I think having that kind of combination is really powerful. And I think it's a big reason the governor tapped her for this job. Melanie, you also profiled LaFonza Butler. And uh, talk a little bit about the fact that she was born in Magnolia, Mississippi, went to college in Jackson, Mississippi. She talked to you about how she studied under civil rights organizers. Right. And how the bullet holes, I mean, sorry, her dorm still had bullet holes from some of, some of these civil rights clashes. I mean, this is somebody who um, she's, you know, she's young. She's 44 years old, but very much grew up in the shadow of the very recent history of you know, of the civil rights movement, particularly in the Deep South, um, which is why I think she's a particularly interesting figure. Right. She's in some ways a kind of bridge from, I think, a lot of the generations that we see serving in in Congress now and some of these and, and the younger generation, the fact that she is, I think, kind of borderline between Gen X and uh, geriatric millennials, I think, is kind of <laughs> showing the uh, the advancement um, from one generation to the next. And, and I do think that that was on the mind of Governor Newsom when he made this appointment. I'm laughing over here, Mina, because she's like two years older than me. And I feel that characterization, Mel. <laughs> hey, I'm a geriatric millennial, too. This is a, this is a self-identification. Well, um, well, Melanie, Marisa mentioned her rise as a labor organizer. Talk about going from there and then ultimately to Emily's List. Sure. I mean, I, when I first got to Sacramento and was covering the Capitol, she was seen as one of the most powerful labor voices um, in the state, quite frankly. I mean, she's leading SEIU California. As Marisa mentioned, watching her um really as the key labor negotiator in that $15 minimum minimum wage deal. I think what's interesting about that deal, which maybe tells us something about her and how she approaches these types of jobs, is that uh, what, what was going on at the time is that labor unions had actual ballot measures that were going to qualify that would have been more aggressive in raising that minimum wage. Business groups were feeling very, very anxious about this. And so what you saw was this deal being hammered out in the legislature with then-Governor Jerry Brown and LaFonza and others that was more incremental in implementing this $15 minimum wage. And I think that that speaks to, I think, how she approaches the job. I mean, that is a gain for working people that we have ultimately got to a $15 minimum wage, but perhaps not as sweeping as some of the uh, labor folks were, were pushing for. And, and then the the uh, sort of middle step between then and her being at Emily's List was this move kind of more into the private uh, business sphere. She was a political consultant. Um, she was very, very active in the presidential campaign for now Vice President Kamala Harris. And she also did some corporate consulting. She was a corporate consultant for Uber, which I think raised a lot of eyebrows as somebody who had come from the labor movement and also did public policy for Airbnb. So her resume is interesting in that it sort of spans both the labor and corporate side. And then she ends up in this fundraising national political role in Emily's List. Yeah, Marisa, I was really struck by a quote in a New York Times piece by Vina Dubal, a professor at UC Irvine School of Law, that essentially said that uh, that we remember her, we, I think she, meaning people in labor, not for her time as president of an important local, but later making money by consulting for one of the most exploitative labor companies in the country. She said that it felt like treachery. Do you think a lot of people in the labor movement share Vina Dubal's view? I think at the time there was frustration. And I think, um, you know, this is 
going to be, I I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but what I've seen most broadly other than that quote is a lot of excitement among the labor community, a sense that she has been a champion for workers, even if they didn't agree with that consulting work that she did. Um, And I think that, you know, I think what she'll she'll probably say is like my record speaks for itself, right? Like what she has done, where she has been is at the table fighting for low income women of color um, and the broader kind of working community again and again. And I think that a lot of people I've talked to and I'm saying are very excited about this. And I think in a way, I mean, you can look at it as a downside, but I think she might be able to spin it into a positive as well. Like how many people have that kind of level of experience where they've been on the inside at Airbnb and they've run SCIU? I mean, I do think that that will be kind of an interesting um, set of experience to take into Congress. And when you think about legislating um, and, you know, to Melanie's point about her age, we have a group of people in Congress who don't seem to even understand the Internet. Um, You know, I said to my kids yesterday, We're going to have two senators now with kids around your age. And that is a real generational change um, and one, you know, that Mm. we've never seen. And so I think when you add it all up, um, I'm sure there will be critics. That's the job. Uh, But I am I would be surprised if we saw any sort of concerted pushback just because of that part of her resume. Mm. We're learning more about California's newest U.S. Senator, LaFonza Butler, and we are talking with Marisa Lagos of KQED and Melanie Mason of Politico, and we're talking with you, our listeners. What's your reaction to Newsom's pick? What questions do you have about LaFonza Butler's life and career? You can email them to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Beth writes, as a fifth-generation Californian and an independent, I am overjoyed Governor Gavin Newsom appointed LaFonza Butler to fill Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat. And I look forward to our California primary in six months, where we will have the chance, we will have the choice of House members, Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, and Adam Schiff. Noelle on Discord writes, shrewd political move since we will be talking about her being black, lesbian and working for labor. But this can distract us from her anti-labor work for Uber. And she worked for Airbnb, another corporate Democrat. How can she be pro-labor then turn around and work for anti-labor Uber? So not sure Noelle will be convinced. But Melanie, can you remind us to the lead up to this appointment? Were you surprised by it? Why do you feel like Gavin ultimately chose Butler? So I will say that um, before, let's say maybe 48 hours before the news came out, that LaFonza's name was definitely not on my radar. Um, <laughs> that was She's somebody who's extremely well known in the California political world. But I think as there was this sort of political parlor game of all of these various, you know, could it be Secretary of State Shirley Weber? Could it be uh, San Francisco Mayor London Breed? I mean, it was just a lot of guessing games. Her name didn't really come up. We did start hearing her name um, once the news about Senator Feinstein's passing. So I think that then it became a little bit more real. And I will say that once I heard that name, there were a lot of of elements that made sense, in particular that she has relationships uh, with Governor Newsom. They've known each other for a very long time with his inner circle. Um, And so I think that. Once you start, when when Newsom had to make this choice as quickly as he did and under as much political pressure as he did, in some ways it makes sense that he goes with somebody who I think is a 
is a trusted figure who he has a relationship with because in some ways you're placing a lot of trust in this person. You know, this Newsom sort of somewhat has a um, responsibility for his appointment, right? I mean, this was the choice that he made to represent uh, California in the Senate for this time being. And he has to know that that she's going to make decisions that he thinks are the right decisions. And so I think the fact that they do have a history together. There is a lot of trust that already exists. Probably made that choice a little bit easier for him. I want to add to, like, you know, I've been on the show many times being critical of the governor. I got to give him and his, the, I think, pretty small group around him who came to this decision a lot of credit politically because I think it's pretty genius. Um, He was under a lot of pressure by the Congressional Black Caucus and other allies of Barbara Lee to appoint her. She reacted very angrily when he made clear a few weeks ago he wouldn't. Um, He obviously has Adam Schiff being supported by former Speaker Nancy Pelosi. A lot of people close to him work for Katie Porter. So... I think this threaded this interesting needle like people, you know, like if you look at what the Black Caucus has said, what uh, people like Amy Allison and she the people have responded, they can't oppose LaFonza. She is an ally. Um, And I think, you know, there will be questions ahead about what this does. But I do think in this moment, it both gives him this sort of not totally unimpeachable because I know some people are going to impeach her, but a pretty unimpeachable figure for for a progressive Democrat. And it shows some independence from people like Speaker Pelosi and others, which I think the governor, you know, can use sometimes. Well, let's hear Congresswoman Barbara Lee reacting on KQED News today. Here she says she's glad the governor heard her and others when he indicated that whoever he chose to appoint would have the option to run. Putting restrictions on uh, a black woman who who has been the backbone, black women, the, the Democratic Party, and to only be able to serve with these boundaries or restrictions, that was not right. It was not the type of response that black women would feel empowered that this really was about representation. So to his credit, the governor made a decision to say that he would regroup and rethink that. And he did. We'll have more about Governor Newsom's appointment of LaFonza Butler to Diane Feinstein's Senate seat after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California will now be represented by LaFonza Butler in the U.S. Senate. Governor Gavin Newsom's pick to fill the vacant seat created by the death last week of Senator Dianne Feinstein. We're learning about her from Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, and Melanie Mason, senior political correspondent covering California politics at Politico. And from you, our listeners, 866-733-6786, the number to call with your reactions and questions about Newsom's pick, about LaFonza Butler. Butler's life and career, uh, about Governor Newsom's handling, in your view, of filling Dianne Feinstein's seat. You can also email forum at kqed.org, post on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord. We are at KQED Forum. And joining me now is Amy Allison, founder and president of She the People, a national organization dedicated to building the political power of women of color. Amy, so glad to have you back on Forum. Great to be on. So tell me your reaction to Governor Newsom naming LaFonza Butler to Feinstein's seat. We've been working toward this moment from 2021 uh, till now. You know, we had a statewide effort, those of us here in the Bay, joining people in Southern California, all walks of life, especially Black women here in California and our allies calling for Governor Newsom to make this promise and to make history I'm so pleased this is a promise kept. Um, and I know LaFonza Butler, her long history of commitments to working people, women, the gay community, uh, her work behind the scenes to elect the vice, pre- the vice president. She's a well-respected leader and especially known in Los Angeles. Um, so she understands our diverse growing electorate. I know she's going to be doing admirably in the Senate. Um, and I'm so pleased that we have representation uh, as a black woman, as a Californian, in, in D.C., she's going to be swearing in in just about an hour and a half. So it's an exciting, historic moment. So what did you think, Amy, about the fact that Governor Newsom is saying that she's free to run for the Senate seat in the Senate race that's currently underway? Well, it's bigger than uh, the appointment of uh, an interim uh, senator for California. It was really about Democratic Party leadership and elected leadership acknowledging and respecting black women in the highest at the highest level. So, for example, if he would have said he didn't say anything about limiting uh, the political aspirations when he appointed Senator Padilla, Mm -hmm. Senator Padilla, um, it was understood, would serve out a term and then be free to run for reelection with the support of the Democratic Party, with the governor behind him. And, you know, for people who aren't in politics like we are every day, What that signals is the donors, the political consultants, the people who know how to run and fund really powerful campaigns get behind the appointee for the reelect. If we had had this interim um, restriction, which he wisely withdrew from, it would have meant that you had a black woman um, who was appointed and it could have been anyone who's um, who was limited, our political power stunted. So I'm very pleased he backed off from that. And I bet in the future, should this situation come up, that no one would suggest that black women were some kind of exception that should be some short term. We want to be there at the highest levels of power and we want to be there for the long term. Hmm. You are a supporter, though, of Congressmember Barbara Lee. Was there any disappointment that he didn't appoint her? I mean, it was a surprising um, uh, choice to, to many of us because... Barbara Lee, well-respected, had a very strong infrastructure and campaign already underway, and as, you, as you'd mentioned earlier, had secured the endorsements of, you know, uh, San Francisco's mayor, L.A. mayor, the Congressional Black Caucus, and others. 
So uh, she was the logical choice from our perspective. We still uh, will be engaged in supporting her um, campaign while partnering with the Senator-elect LaFonza Butler. So uh, there was uh, a big push to uh, appoint the most senior woman in, in, in Congress who's already in the race uh, for the governor to use his political power to support her. It was unfortunate that uh, that did not happen because there's a reason there's no black women. Well, there, there hasn't been black women in the Senate. Uh, politically and structurally, it's been difficult to overcome some of those issues I've been talking about. So that would have been helpful. Uh, Nancy Pelosi does not have uh, those uh, same beliefs, and she's put her finger um, on the scale for Adam Schiff. And we we know that politicians do that as part of what they do. So I think for us, we're very pleased that LaFonza Butler is our next senator. And we're also very pleased that uh, Barbara Lee will continue running here in California. Um, I mean, you know, you know, she was going to be one of three uh, very powerful campaigns of black women, including Maryland and Delaware, who are running. So uh, this could be actually a banner year for uh, black women in the Senate. Well, do you, before I let you go, just want to say anything about the historic nature of this pick and, and what you think it means for California to have LaFonza Butler representing us? This is what I want to say. LaFonza Butler, there's never been another senator like LaFonza Butler with her particular background. Um, she is very skilled and understands California's multiracial diverse electorate. Her, her experience in, with the union, her experience supporting Kamala Harris' Senate bid and, and, and presidential bid and uh, helping the Biden-Harris ticket be reelected, all of that means that she understands the power of who we are as Californians and how to tap that power um, to, to build, uh, to, to elect people and to ad advance our agenda. That's going to be incredibly important over the next 18 months as Democrats rely on us here in California uh, across the country for uh, to turn out um, in, in, in record numbers. So that's going to be very important and, and incredibly useful uh, experience and perspective to, to come in. And, you know, she's the third black woman to be in the Senate. And I could just tell you personally how much it means uh, to be represented because uh, I've started working and supporting um, black women, really excellent, amazing talents who would run from 2014 and every election cycle. And I know how hard it is. So uh, people, no matter what your walk of life or race or gender, can really look to LaFonza Butler and that appointment as a step toward our multiracial democracy. And I'm, I'm just really thrilled that we're at this hmm. place right now. It was a lot of hard work from a lot of people. Amy Allison, founder and president of She the People, thank you so much. Thank you so much. She the People, a national organization dedicated to building the political power of women of color. This listener writes, any word if she'll throw her hat in the ring for the next Senate election after her term ends, I may consider her over Katie Porter if she was to run. Melanie, some Democrats are already calling on Butler not to run for a full term. For example, here's uh, California Congress member John Garamendi on CNN yesterday. I just think it's terribly unfair that she would do so. And the word around here is that whomever he appointed would not run. And to be airdropped into this is simply not fair. And by the way, I don't think many people know her. Mm, Melanie, is this something wow. we're going to hear more hear of? I am shocked by this. 
Yeah, well, that, that that is my eyebrows are um, at, at my forehead right now. Although, let's be honest, this is not certainly some things that we have heard privately too. So it's just interesting to hear a member of Congress, I guess, say it um, on television. But look, I mean, that is the question, right? I think everybody is trying to figure out what now. I do think it was very interesting that the Sunday before the pick was announced that. Governor Newsom's team wanted to make it very clear that no preconditions were put on this offer. So it really was almost like they are making it very clear that the choice is open. I, I think the other thing that we do need to keep in mind is that, you know, it's been less than a week. Um, you know, the, the LaFonta is now going to be sworn in imminently as a senator. I guess right now she's senator designate. And so I do think that the idea that we would have like a political infrastructure in place um, this quickly is is kind of nutty, particularly knowing her, right? I mean, she's somebody who has been a political strategist herself. She knows what it would take to run a statewide campaign under this crunch. This is not somebody who is a novice in that sense. So I do think that this is somebody who is going to want to run the traps to figure out if this is something that is viable before she you know, shows her cards. Um, but it's interesting that there's both, I think, the pressure from perhaps supporters of Congresswoman Lee or even supporters of the others in the race to sort of maybe make make clear that they don't think that it would be fair to do. The truth is, is that if she's the incumbent senator and Gavin Newsom and her have made this agreement that she does not have to decide one way or the other, I, I think it's, you know, fair game. Well, Marie, so you had a reaction to Garamendi's statement <laughs> there. And, and so what do you think is behind that sentiment? I know that you can't read his mind, but potentially besides the fact that maybe he's supporting one of the other people who are running for the Senate, but... Well, I, I mean, to to have Garamendi, who we, my colleague Guy Marzardi did some really good reporting on this. You know, he's representing the most racially and ethnically diverse district in both the Bay Area and state. And it was one that was really drawn to encourage a more diverse member of, you know, of Congress. And he decided to run in that district, even though he doesn't live in it, because you can do that if you're in Congress. Um, and I just I think that as we have this debate about a changing of the guard to call it unfair that only the third black woman who will ever serve in the Senate, you know, got this appointment that she would. I don't know. I just that's kind of mind boggling to me. I will say, too, um, you know, it will be an uphill battle if LaFonso decides to run. However, this is all, I believe, sort of uh, Newsom, I, I would assume, has been helped very closely by his political consultants, A. Smith, Sean Clegg at Bear Star, where LaFonso used to work. Right. And they are very smart people who I I think probably already have a game plan um, as she weighs whether or not to run. Well, we will get into whether or not she will run, but let me get into some calls. Fabiola in Berkeley, thanks for joining us. What would you like to say? Well, you know, great. An African-American woman, great. But you guys keep on glossing over the fact that she consulted for Uber. Remember, in 2020, Prop 22, which Uber spent, what, some $20 million to convince people to vote against uh, workers, gig workers, Uber drivers lost labor rights. Uber drivers and Lyft drivers and certain gig workers do not get paid minimum wage. They do not get paid overtime. They don't get their meal and rest breaks. You know, that is not labor friendly. So when you guys talk about that she's so labor friendly, she took away those rights of workers. And that's very, very just irritating. Irritating. This is really important to understand. So she's happy she has worked to take away rights of labor. I of can workers. hear your irritation. No, 
Yeah, I can hear your irritation, Fabiola. Yeah, when, and we touched upon this earlier, so appreciate hearing how you feel about it. Let me go next to Cole in Oakland. Hi, Cole, you're on. Hi, Ms. Kim. Um, so I I understand Newsom had uh, had a mandate to, that he placed uh, on himself and by others to fill, but I, I have a question for Ms. Lagos. Like, doesn't it feel kind of empty in the sense that he's appointed, you know, a, a black woman who could very well not run or be defeated if she does run, uh, you know, as to not interfere with let's go ahead and, you know, call them out, the primary three contenders for that Senate seat, Lee Schiff and Porter. And that that's ultimately my question. Thank you, Ms. Kim. Bye. Can you, oh, go ahead, I, Marie, just don't, don't, I don't understand respond to what Cole. the question I think was. he was wondering if it feels empty at all. And Cole, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that this interim placement of a black woman is for a seat that at least we know for sure is safe for about 15 months. But then beyond that. Well, here's what I would say. And I think that this is and, and, and I mean, I don't you know, I think it's for the public to judge this. But I actually kind of felt like when Newsom said he or when we all assumed he would appoint a caretaker, that that was almost undermining his promise. I think that's what Amy Allison means when she says this was a promise kept. Because the point of appointing a black woman and making that making that you know statement that he would was to give them a black a, a, a leg up in an election. We have seen how hard it is to get elected as a woman of color in this country. And so if you are only putting somebody in as a placeholder, in a way that to me is that would be more problematic if you believe that, you know, that he is doing the right thing by saying that he wants to give someone the power of incumbency. Well, this question of whether or not she will run, uh, LaFonza Butler did tell the L.A. Times yesterday, I have no idea. I have no idea. I genuinely don't know. I want to be focused on honoring the legacy of Senator Feinstein. I want to devote my time and energy to serving the people of California. So, Melanie, can you just lay out for us, A, your assessment of the likelihood that you will, which I know, you know, we don't really know, right? It's it's a big open question, but also the challenges before her if she chose to. I think in terms of likelihood, look, I think that it is if she wasn't going to run, like definitely not going to run, she would be saying, I'm doing this with the full knowledge that I'm not going to run again. Mm-hmm. She's not saying that. Mm -hmm. She's also not saying I'm definitely going to run. But I think that these answers are keeping her options open, probably because she, like everybody else, is trying to sort of digest what just happened over the last um, couple of days. But I think that your second question is really a key one, is that this is, you know, the primary is in March. um, And this is now October. um, And this is not a small state where just raising maybe a couple million dollars is enough to, you know, blanket the airways and introduce yourself. She would have to run, raise a lot of money, very quickly. And she'd have to introduce herself to voters very quickly, um, because even though she's pretty well known within the political class, I think that there's basically zero name ID with with most voters. And here's the thing, her job's in Washington. She does have a job now, which is to be the senator from California. So it's not like she would be able to hit the ground running and spend the next five months just campaigning. I mean, there is there is definitely some toggling that's going to have to do. So I do think what she has on her side, she has a fundraising network um, through Emily's list that clearly means she can put together money quite quickly. Um, she has some very, very smart political minds as her allies. She herself has you know, established herself as a smart political mind and running campaigns. So she has all that going for her. But remember, particularly when you're looking at 
say, um, uh, Representative Schiff or Representative Porter, they have um, small donors uh, Mm -hmm. base. That's where they are raking in a lot of money. And that's because people know them. They're on MSNBC all the time. They have this sort of um, relatively larger name ID. I think it's going to be very, very hard for Butler to establish that kind of presence um, very quickly. Who knows? Maybe she has a viral moment that like catapults her to the national consciousness very quickly. But I think that that time is going to be a serious factor here. And, and I think that that's going to there are going to be real challenges for running this race. Well, this is Nurites. How can Butler be a senator from California when she does not live here and is not a registered voter here? Uh, it sounds like Representative Daryl Issa is also trying to make hay out of this. The fact that she's in Maryland right now and will need to re-register in California. How big a deal do you think that is, Marisa? Not. I, I really yeah. don't. I mean, I think legally it's fine. She's it's I, I, we we could get a legal expert on here to explain the ins and outs. But essentially, by re-registering before she gets sworn in today, um, she still owns a home in California. She's only been in D.C. for about a year and a half. Let's be clear. She's right outside of D.C. It's you know, that's why she's there. Um, I think from a political perspective, it could be an issue if, you know, if she decides to run and kind of jumps through the hoops that Mel just laid out, which are formidable, um, although one in three folks still are undecided in this race. And clearly she's getting a lot of, uh, as they say, earned media in the business right now. Um So I'm sure that that could be something that will be brought up right now. It does not seem like that is the knock by uh, Democrats mostly. That is something that I think Republicans are trying to make hay out of. Um, but uh, apparently, like Tommy Tupperville lives in Florida. I mean, you don't actually have to live in the state. Um, so I, I think that that maybe is not going to be the biggest challenge for her. If she well, chose to, yeah, I, go ahead, Mel. Just to jump in for a second. I mean, she, you know, her house is in Los Angeles. She's very well known in Los Angeles among sort of the Los Angeles power structure. And I think that if people actually we're, we're going to make hay of this, they may inadvertently end up helping her because it, it will just prod people who have worked with her in Los Angeles, whether that's the labor unions or say, you know, um, Mayor Karen Bass or uh, Board of Commissioner, I'm sorry, the Board of Supervisors, uh, Sue Polly Mitchell. I mean, these are close friends who have lived with her in LA and could speak to her. And all you would be doing is prodding people to, to get out there and, and assert how much her sort of LA and California credentials are. So I think if this is... Um, and and, an attack line, it might end up backfiring. Well, this listener W writes, the governor didn't want to play favorite, so he picked someone else entirely different, and now she can run against the other three for a new term? A strange decision. We are talking about the future of Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat, now held by LaFonza Butler, the choice of Governor Gavin Newsom to be California's U.S. Senator. We're taking your questions and your reactions and also talking with Marisa Lagos of KQED, our politics correspondent, and Melanie Mason, senior political correspondent at Politico. Stay with us for more. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about California's newest U.S. Senator, LaFonza Butler, this hour with Melanie Mason of Politico and Marisa Lagos of KQED, and also with you, our listeners, joining us at our number 866-733-6786 on Discord, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at KQED Forum, at our email address, forum at kqed.org. Let me go to Jim in Fairfield. Hi, Jim. You're on. Thank you so much. I want to defend my congressman, John Carapanti, and I, I think his point of view is a reasonable one that I share. Uh, the Senate is not an introductory position. This is not a learn-on-the-job position. I always favor a senator who has legislative experience, especially at the congressional level. And Governor Newsom had a chance to choose Barbara Lee or choose Katie Porter or choose Adam Schiff, three of the most effective members of Congress, and instead, he chose an outsider who, as far as I can tell, has no legislative experience. So this hour you've been talking about she's a good campaigner. She knows how to run a campaign. She is part of the political elite. She's part of the behind-the-scenes uh, structure that runs politics. But she is not uh, a member of th- that has demonstrated effective legislation. So hmm. uh, to me, this is the same as let's choose a president that doesn't have any experience in elected office or or let's choose someone who's an outsider because we want to throw a bomb into the system that uh, I, I would have felt much more comfortable uh, to have the governor choose one of the three most effective members of Congress. Well, Jim, thanks for and sharing your perspective. Yeah, Marisa, do you, do you have a response? Well, I feel like this is sort of the problem, which is it's hard for black women to get elected, so then they don't have the experience, so then why should we elect them? So I would say that, I mean, that is a totally valid thing for a voter, you know, to weigh candidates against each other on. I think what you will probably hear from Butler if she decides to run is that she's been in the room. She's been very deeply involved in legislative negotiations. I know Melanie can speak to this as well. She is seen as a sort of a master legislator in that way from, you know, obviously as an outside advocate, not as somebody writing the laws. But let's be clear, most people in Sacramento don't write their own laws. They let outside groups do it. Um, And so I think, you know, it's fair to look at her experience and, and not all experiences in Congress. I think you know, some voters will probably look kindly on the fact that she is not a longtime congressperson. Well, the Zisner writes, Butler did not take rights away from Uber workers. Ultimately, the voters of California did, just like voters did away with affirmative action in the UC system. Women of color have a right to earn a living. We should not be judged entirely by every job we take. John writes, sincere congratulations to Ms. Butler on her appointment. Addressing, mitigating, and adapting to climate change is our greatest need right now. Does Ms. Butler have a position on this issue? Melanie, do you know? You know, off the top of my head, I don't. I mean, knowing the candidates that she has worked for, um, you know, I, th- I mean, and also just sort of where she locates herself in the Democratic Party, um, I would say that she is probably um, in line with Governor Newsom and others in terms of seeing climate change as a threat. But I don't 
necessarily see this as an issue that she has leaned in on. I mean, I think when I think of the work that she's done, it's a lot with regards to some of these labor issues that we saw in Sacramento and then women's reproductive rights Mm -hmm. through Emily's list. So I think that's a fair question for her. I mean, to the the previous caller's point, and I do think that this is something she's going to have to contend with, is that when you are in elected office, you have to sort of lay out your, your platform on a whole host of issues. And she hasn't had to do that in these previous positions. And so I think that as voters are trying to get to know her, she's going to have to very quickly establish where she is on a lot of these issues. Mm -hmm. My hunch, knowing her, is that there's going to be a lot of alignment with democratic orthodoxy there, but it's going to have to come from her so people can, you know, know know for themselves. Well, Melanie, there's also a question of what will LaFonza Butler be able to do in the Senate, a chamber that really operates on seniority? I know you cover politics from California, not from Washington, but, uh, but what kind of power influence can or will Butler have? I think the most powerful position that she can have is as a Democrat, a Democratic vote in a very closely divided Senate. I mean, that's mm-hmm. partly the reason why we saw this happen so quickly. as quickly as it did. There is just so little wiggle room for Democrats right now uh, when it comes to either passing legislation if they can through reconciliation, since we know the filibuster is is usually a, a barrier to that, um, confirming appointees, Biden appointees. There are still um, appointees jammed up in the in the Senate right now. So that is where her power is going to be as 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 one of the Democratic caucus. As in terms of committee assignments, there are things right. She's going to be the most um, have the least seniority of, of the members. And I also think in terms of mounting a legislative package, I mean, these are things that, particularly in the Senate, which is not necessarily known for its alacrity, um, it takes some time. But she's immediately going to make an impact just because the Democrats need every single vote they can get. And having Feinstein not there. Remember a lot of the angst when when, when Senator Feinstein had been out um, with, with an illness mm-hmm. for, for many months in the spring. I mean, just not having a Democratic vote there totally changes the power of the balance of power in, in Washington. And so that's where I think her real power is going to be. Yeah, there was some concern around Republicans maybe trying to hold up appointments of Democrats to Feinstein's committee positions, in particular, the Judiciary Committee, um, Marisa. But it sounds like some of those concerns have quieted down. Why? I'm not totally sure. I mean, I think that, um, you know, they did allow her to step aside as leader and then re- be replaced. So, I, you know, I, I think it, it, it remains to be seen. And obviously, I mean, they, you know, Schumer has he, he could change committees around, too. I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know if that's going to be her. I do know I will preview. We are working on a story about this question of her environmental positions and record. Oh, um, and Lafonza I, Butler's, yeah. Yes. And I do think it'll be one thing that she'll say is that a big plank of SEIU's sort of policy platform was around environmental justice when she was there. So I do think there are some policies that we'll be able to point to that she's worked on, but clearly a lot of questions about, yeah, where she stands. Well, Melanie, I did see uh, Representative John Cornyn of Texas, who's on the Judiciary Committee. I did see in a piece by NBC that he said that there is no doubt in his mind that Democrats could fill Dianne Feinstein's spot with another Democrat, no problem. And of course, we know that when she was ailing and Democrats were trying to replace her, the Republicans were were trying to throw up obstacles to doing that. Why the change? Well, because, you know, now we'll have a, a, a full senator in that in that seat. And, you know, Senator Feinstein did still occupy that seat. She just was not able to be present at the Senate. And so I think that weird sort of interim mm-hmm. or or her kind of being in limbo is what gave Republicans that opening to say, no, no, we're not going to allow Democrats to appoint somebody 
in Senator Feinstein's absence. And that's not the case there. There is going to be now a, a, a different senator in that seat that I think then you can sort of re- return to regular order. But I will note that, I mean, Democrats were really affronted by the fact that Republicans wouldn't allow them to appoint um, a, a Democrat to, to judiciary as mm-hmm. Senator Feinstein was alien. I remember uh, former Senator Boxer was, was talked about how appalled she was that it seemed like Republicans were just trying to throw sand in the gears in a moment that was very difficult um, for Senator Feinstein and for the caucus. And so I think now they're sort of returning back to the the old ways of the Senate. But that was a, a pretty um, significant move by Republicans to block that appointment uh, back when Senator Feinstein was alive, but not being able to serve physically in Senate. Oh, yeah. Well, Michael writes, how will the Senate election be held? Will there be a runoff between the top two candidates? We we can talk about the Senate election, but but more on the administrative um, topic here, Marisa, there are things to know about the next ballot that we're going to see in March. Can you just talk about that? Because there's already a little bit of confusion. Hold on to your seats because this is complicated. (laughs) So in March, there will be a primary for the regular election as we've planned for years. There will also be a second question on who should compete in a runoff to fulfill the rest of Senator Feinstein's term, which will essentially only be November and December and a few days in January. So basically, voters will vote twice. Who should go to a runoff for the full term that begins in 2025 and who should go to a runoff for the two month term, essentially. Then in November, similarly, voters will vote to fulfill those two months, that that short term, you know, final part of Dianne Feinstein's term, and they will vote for somebody to fill the 2025 term. It stands to reason that that might be the same person, right? Alex Padilla was elected the same way. However, and actually Dianne Feinstein was as well, if you recall. That's why she was always senior to Barbara Boxer, because she got sworn in like two months before uh, Boxer. So, um, you know, if if Butler decides not to run, it'll be the same question we've all you know been looking at for months um with you know the three top democrats we've discussed and and a handful of republicans including uh republican eric early and a couple of additional democrats too but, and yeah. a couple of yeah but i think you know i think because we have a top two primary system um the the money is on that this is really a race between these members of congress and potentially butler if she gets in so yeah so we will be voting four times um in theory we could have four different you know, senators within a little over a year period. But that seems unlikely that voters would pick somebody different to fill November, December than they do to fill the 2025 term. Wow, you're right. There is a lot to be sorted out with regard to the ballots, but we will also definitely make sure that our listeners are very clear on what the ballot will look like. And the main idea is just to be able to affirm a governor's appointment, to allow voters to have some kind of a voice, right? I mean, that's the purpose of the whole thing. Um, Okay, so the other question that I have for you is really just around how all of this fits in with Gavin Newsom's political aspirations, because we are seeing some questions around this. So, for example, the sister writes, this election does not show the governor's, quote, genius, but rather his cunning. When he promised to appoint a black woman, I understood it as an average Oakland voter that it would be Congresswoman Barbara Lee. So I want to ask you to weigh in a little bit, not just on how LaFonza Butler in your view, was a smart pick, but also in terms of Gavin Newsom's interest in his own political future and how that pick fits into it. So, Melanie, you go first. 
Well, that's always a $64,000 question with anything that Governor Newsom does, right? I mean, I think that that everybody sees political calculus in every move. And I think it is fair that to, to consider when he originally made this, this promise to appoint a Black woman, that was after he had appointed uh, now Senator Padilla to Kamala Harris's seat. And there was a real frustration among Black women that there was not another Black woman senator to to replace now the, the now vice president. Um, so that was certainly, and, and I do think he was looking ahead to the electorate, um, particularly in key primary states for Democratic uh, not presidential nomination, and maybe thinking that that would be an important promise to keep. I think what we have seen over the last couple of years, and I think so much of this was unpredictable over Senator Feinstein's health and, and how this all played out, is I, I think that he found himself kind of more in a box and then he did as from kind of like executing some brilliant political plan. I think that he has wiggled his way out of his box, this box for now. But I still think and, be, you know, that that what he does, if uh, Senator Butler, I guess almost Senator Butler decides to run um, and, and if he decides to throw his weight behind her or not, that threatens to like reopen a lot of these wounds. Right. And so. I think that that the original promise certainly had some like 2028 aspirations in mind. <laughs> um, I don't know if he would have scripted it exactly this way. Um, I think that that um, right now they're probably breathing easy that this pick seems to be genu- generally well received. But um, there's there's still going to be a bit of a jam if if Butler runs and Lee is also in the race. And what does that mean? Um, and how does that sort of cast him forward with a really crucial part of the electorate, um, not just in California, but in the rest of the country? Melanie Mason, and let me remind listeners, you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Marisa, what do you think this all means for Newsom and his political future? We'll see. I mean, I think as of now, like I said, I think it was a pretty smart pick. I think it's a huge win for his consultants. I'm going to go back to that. Uh, they 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 worked with Butler. They represent, um, you know, our attorney general, the lieutenant governor who's running for governor. Like there is a lot that A. Smith and Sean Clegg have kind of like going. So I think in some ways this is a, a big win for them. I think for the governor himself, I mean, it all depends a lot on how she performs. Um, not just obviously we've been talking a lot about the politics, but as a senator herself. Um, but look, Newsom is obviously positioning himself to be a Democratic star, no matter what happens in this next election or in the future. Um, we've seen this last week when he was at the debate for the GOP and really stole the show, right? I mean, that's what everyone was talking about at the Republican convention that Melly and I were at last weekend, not mm. how DeSantis performed or Vivek's, you know, whatever. It was a lot about Newsom. And so, and that was with Biden's team's blessing. And so I think as of now, Newsom is kind of on fire. And, um, you know, that can always get doused quickly in politics. But he's definitely having a good few weeks, I would say. Let me go to caller Elliot in New York City. Hey, Elliot, what would you like to ask? Hi, thank you for uh, for letting me join in the San Francisco program. And I extend my condolences to everyone there um, over uh, Senator Feinstein's oh, thank you. death. Um, uh, and congratulations to KQED, KQED on your excellent coverage. Um, I am curious, because you were just talking about uh, Governor Newsom and his political consultants and their political savvy. I'm wondering about uh, Senator-designate Butler's other uh, connections, that maybe the other political groups that she has around her, uh, thinking, for instance, of the sort of Vice President Harris and that mm. orbit 
her family, um, and the the uh, labor, uh, the the union family, if I may. Mm. And I, I, I'm shocked to hear that people think that she's anti-worker, but I guess there's a lot I don't know. Elliot, thanks. Uh, Melanie, do you want to weigh in about the relationship um, that she has with Vice President Harris? So she's very, very close to the vice president. I mean, she was a um, in some ways, I think that the vice president can thank Butler um, for helping launch her political career. Butler, when um, she was a young labor organizer down here in Los Angeles in 2010, helped broker a co-endorsement for um, Kamala Harris and her then primary opponent in the attorney general's race. Harris was really seen as sort of an underdog at that point. And that endorsement from, you know, SEIU, I believe 2015 at the time, um, really kind of helped give credibility. It was also a big deal because that was a, a, a mark of, of or an endorsement from a Southern California labor. And, you know, as, as your listeners probably know, the North-South divide in California politics is very real. Um, so anyway, that my point being is that they go back. They go back a long ways. They also, to Marisa's point, um, have had similar consultants. Those uh, folks that she named had have also been very close to um, the then vice, now vice president for some time. So there is a lot of, um, you know, <laughs> it's a small world, I think is, is fair to say. But she has also, I think, by virtue of her time in D.C. in the last couple of years, she has a network that goes beyond California. And I think that that um, is going to be interesting to see is, is how much does she lean on sort of the D.C. political class as opposed to folks in California. I think that those of us who live out here in California know that um, sometimes East Coasters get our politics very wrong. So I will be interested to see um, who ends up having sort of the most um, influential uh, voice at the table. Um, but I think that that's the question that that I'm trying to sort of chase down right now. I know a lot of other reporters are, too, which is like, who's at who's in the kitchen cabinet right now? Because in some ways, there are so many people who claim that she is a close friend and a confidant and a, an advisor and like they can't all be in the room. So I think that we're trying to sort of hmm. sort out who yeah. really has the influence here. And again, I think that we're going to need to see a little bit of the dust clear before we can say that definitively. And in the meantime, of course, as Elliot reminds us, we're having this conversation because of the death of Senator Dianne Feinstein last week. And so, Marisa, what can you tell us about uh, plans for Dianne Feinstein's funeral, especially if people want to be able to pay their respects? Yeah, so we had expected this to be at the Herbst Theater. Um, and late yesterday, there was an announcement that the funeral service has been moved to the front steps of San Francisco City Hall, um, a place that, you know, we have seen historically Dianne Feinstein preside over yes. in many moments, important moments in the city's history. Um so I, I assume I haven't talked to anybody directly, but this is in an attempt to make this more public, to give so many people who want to pay their respects the oppor opportunity to. It begins at 1 p.m. I would suggest getting there early. It's going to be outside. There's not a lot of shade or anywhere to sit. So uh, come prepared for that. Um, and it will be live streamed as well. So folks can watch that at home. Marisa Lagos, KQD's politics correspondent and co-host of Political Breakdown. Thank you, as always. My pleasure. And Melanie Mason, senior political correspondent covering California politics for Politico so, so well. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Also, my thanks to Amy Allison of She the People for joining us earlier and to all of our listeners for their great questions, comments, insights, and so on. And also my thanks to Dan Zoll for producing today's segment. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.